0: It's my hope that both our state and our federal colleagues see the opportunity to expand the horizon to a workforce and skilled professionals in really thinking about whole person care and behavioral health.
1: The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations from Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers, to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at MentorMate.com slash healthcare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Medical Alley podcast. My name is Bobby Dressen and I'm delighted to host today's episode. We're joined today by a leader and an innovator in the Medical Alley community, Alina Health President and CEO, Lisa Shannon. Lisa also serves on the Medical Alley Board of Directors and was recently named by Modern Healthcare as one of the top women leaders in healthcare for 2023. We're excited to talk with her about her leadership journey and how Alina is addressing the extraordinary need for mental and behavioral health care. Lisa, it's great to speak with you today and to see you as well. How are you doing?
0: Hi, Bobby. it's so great to be here. I am doing well and looking forward to our discussion.
1: Thank you. I wanted to start with you and your path to leadership. Can you share a bit about how you started working in healthcare and what brought you to Alina?
0: You bet. Um, health care has been my whole career. My early career, Bobby, was as a dietitian on a burn and trauma team. I knew I wanted to uh, contribute to health and well-being. And for me, the path toward uh, clinical dietetics was the right path. I started early in having two passions, preventive health or critical care, I found very interesting. And I still call on my critical care experience, which really grounded me in the reality that the best care and outcomes for patients is really developed and delivered by teams of people with different roles that come together in service of our patients. And I carry that with me all these years. I moved quickly into leadership and it uh, wasn't a, a path that I had intended, but a path that found me. And I've been in three other s- states and uh, four other health systems. And I would say of Health, by far and away, has brought me to a place where I feel like I can bring all that we do with complex care and my passion for preventive health or population health and whole person care. So I love it here and I'm thrilled to be here.
1: Let's dive into the topic of mental health. We're facing a true crisis. In fact, we talked about that together when we were at the Piper Heartland Conference this fall. Rates of suicide, anxiety, depression, and other mental health illnesses are rising, especially in young people. This is putting a tremendous strain on health systems to meet a rising demand for care. What's your assessment of the state of mental health care in the United States? We'll start there first.
0: Uh, Thanks for the question. Um, We care deeply, and I care deeply personally, about all that surrounds in our country um, mental health. And mental health, for me, is a broad category of conversations, which include ranging from neurodiverse patients to addiction, to mental health care, and largely driven by what we also care a lot about, which are the social determinants of health. By the time a patient gets to a provider in our country or here in Minnesota, we've failed them in society largely. Now, there are really deep clinical conditions that need our complex care and diagnoses and treatments. And yet what we're seeing in the rising, especially you mentioned the youth, it is a a significant concern for us. And I would say every colleague of mine around the country on how do we work in collaboration to solve some of our communities and countries' biggest problems.
1: And so when you reflect on that, what do you think is the biggest challenge that faces you with Alina today?
0: We are, we are really proud at Alina Health of the mental health and addiction services that we provide. We have worked really hard to create more access for the community. And that access is how can we get as far upstream as we can, meaning how do we know the vulnerabilities in our patients as early as possible in their journey? So one of the things that Alina I'm really, really proud of is we engaged in social determinant of health screening to know the stressors in life that are contributing factors. It could be housing insecurities, food insecurities, unsafe living conditions, transportation issues. We ask those questions so that when a patient's seen at Alina Health, We understand other contributing factors. We call those social determinants of health. And it is in the knowing that we can begin to identify what early intervention can be done. That said, we are seeing a tremendous increase year over year in patients that we're discharging from our emergency departments for outpatient programs, which ideally mental health and uh, and addiction care would be delivered in early intervention in the outpatient setting. We know that patients do need inpatient care as well, and so those are very complex needs. And ideally, the inpatients that we serve are just that, those that really need inpatients. Unfortunately, the greatest challenge for Alina and all our colleagues is there is, I I would call it, a crushing demand, and the demand far outweighs capacity for most health providers in our country.
1: Well, and you're touching exactly on what my next question is, because at Medical Alley, as you know, health equity has been one of the things we've been working on that, and a subtopic has been mental health. And as we looked at it, we've wanted to address reducing barriers to access. And one of those barriers is not only availability of workforce trained in that space, but also the availability of workers that are like serving like. And we published a year long study about that this year and and put it out in January. and. And we know how important it is, and it's one of the things you'll see us continue to focus on. But, you know, what What are you guys looking at in terms of getting more professionals into the workforce pipeline?
0: Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to Medical Alley. We really appreciate your focus on this. I appreciate our conversation about it. I think it's very important that we, as a community, and frankly, as a broad cross- Cutting industry talk about these things and what do we need to do? So a couple of things I would lift up on the workforce pipeline. We know that having the right providers across our continuum from psychologists to master's level trained addiction and behavioralists to identifying individuals and communities that may not have exposure. So for example, We have an accredited psychology training program, and that's been a great pipeline for employment. Once that psychology trainees completed their program, they can move in with a year-long postdoctorate program of employment where we can continue to do clinical supervision. We're really excited about that, and we have um, just incredible colleagues in that area we also have a comparable master's training programs that support students after they graduate in employment and can go into one of seven different mental health programs. And we really want to make available and help all of our community. And we've, we've really paid close attention to our, our diverse community and our equity. People want to be cared for. By those that they see themselves in as well. So we've we have implemented a BIPOC training program for those pursuing licenses in alcohol and drug counseling, which is yet another pipeline and supports some of our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging strategy. Frankly, there's a lot more that needs to be done for this. And um, I'm it's my hope that both our state, and our federal colleagues see the opportunity to expand the horizon to a workforce and skilled professionals in really thinking about whole person care and behavioral health.
1: I think the word you pull on there in terms of whole person care is something that's been lacking overall across the spectrum of healthcare and something that I've watched Alina lead in. As I think back to even the Penny Bill George Integrative Medicine Center, I think guys have been trailblazing that space for quite some time. So thank you, you, Bobby. Well, maybe if we
0: could lift up, um, I really appreciate your acknowledgement that Alina has really been focused for, for a very long time. It's frankly what attracted me here that we think of health really broadly and holistically. We are excited by and are yet staying tuned for what it's going to look like. CMS recently announced a behavioral health strategy for 2024 that uses language and talks about prioritizing whole person health and behavioral Mm health care. Now, there was a CMS news release, I believe it was November the 2nd. And that rule expands if it's it's got more steps to go. But what it appears to do is expand and allow marriage and family therapists, mental health counselors, eligible addiction, alcohol, drug counselors, to perhaps enroll in Medicare for the first time and potentially bill for services. Wow. There is a crisis in where we're aligning payment and economics based on where our communities need it the most. So I would just say the more that we can be part of a solution with our federal government and our payers to look at how do we provide for the growing need, intervening as early as possible in our community and really from a whole person focus and bring other professionals in to support Uh, the need. We'll see where it goes.
1: Yeah. Well, and I hope within that they include virtual care versus needing it to be in person so that it expands your reach even more. So, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that you're an innovator and there's plenty of evidence to back that up since your arrival at Alina. But what steps have you taken to innovate mental health treatment and support?
0: Well, first of all, I think um, the credit goes to leaders um, that have been on the line of health for many, many years and uh, absolutely fantastic uh, mental health and behavioral health and addiction team that I am just so proud to work alongside and support. We have, I mentioned years ago as part of a CMS program for accountable care communities been assessing for those social determinants of health that led to Alina cannot, nor can any individual entity solve all of the social challenges our society and communities facing. But what we did do was innovate ways that we can be a connector and a conduit. And we're gonna keep working on that. We do but I personally believe that partnerships are key to solving some of the most gnarly problems that we have. And oftentimes hospitals and health systems are left as the only door always open, meaning the emergency department. And so when society and communities do not have requisite services, we end up being the place that in desperation whether it's a neurodiverse or another challenge. It may not be a hospital or a clinical need, but there's no place else to go. We have to innovate against the need and find partners. So I would use many examples. First of all, I'm exceedingly proud of our primary care model of care that understands um, and screens for depression and anxiety. So that we can get patients in, we have a digital self-guided tool for low depression and anxiety. And we've been piloting that today. We've had over a thousand patients successfully using that tool, and we can refer those individuals in so they can get the right level of care as early as possible. The other thing that we've done as many of our primary care offices have, behavioral health and psychologists or psychiatrists access within the facility. And most certainly, you mentioned telehealth. I couldn't agree with you more that access to telehealth, mental health care has has reduced barriers and created more access. So we are going to continue. We all went there in COVID. We're going to continue to amplify telehealth services, which sometimes for those who have other factors preventing them accessing um, support services, sometimes in the safety of a telehealth environment, we we need to advance that further. So we're going to keep looking for partnerships, finding a pipeline and um, ways that we can serve our patients.
1: Well, and one of the things we talked about on stage, right? Uh, this fall was just even you have our commitment that we're going to continue to push for the reimbursement for all of that, because at the end of the day, Align has been providing health care and mental health care since you practically opened your doors. And uh, it's not something new to the health care system, but what keeps mounting is the whole subject of reimbursement. And uh, it's what brings challenges. And the fact that you've been able to be as innovative as you've been and that you're being as holistic in your care is a testimony to your commitment to the patient and to the community, working within the best boundaries that you have available to you. So I applaud you for that. And I applaud you for your innovation and taking the steps, um, you know, for the future as you're working on it. So thank you. Yeah,
0: thank you, We.
1: We know your advocacy
0: makes a difference.
1: I want to get a little personal if you'll allow me. You oversee one of the largest health systems in Minnesota, twelve hospital campuses, more than twenty-eight thousand employees across Minnesota and western Wisconsin. How do you manage your own mental health? How do you take care of you, Lisa? It's a great question, Bobby. And
0: maybe I'd offer remember my backgrounds as a dietitian. Doesn't mean I always do what I say. And yet, what I would offer is that well-being and whole person care has been important to me for a very long time. And stepping into this role, yeah, I believe there's a responsibility to model what we want for our patients, but also our employees. So back in 2021, early, early 22, we launched a CEO Council for Well-Being We were initially focusing in on our providers who were facing huge uh, challenges with um, what has happened now and through the pandemic, but a host of other mounting cumulative factors that are affecting the well-being of our teams. We have for a long time had a benefits and structure and provided resources. You mentioned the Penny George Institute for uh, our health and healing. We want to make those available to our teams. And I believe it's my responsibility to model that. So for me personally, it is about keeping an eye on uh, what I do for movement, my fitness. It's what I do for um, my nutrition, my time out. If I talk about well-being and I'm not modeling that and it's not easy and I'm very open that I have for a long time believed in that we need to have our fitness, however that works for us, our our food and nutrition, a therapist and an executive coach that helps me think about the sustainability. These jobs are all consuming and how we um, show up and I don't do everything perfect. And I want to be able to say, I'm trying alongside you, the things that we think are important for our workforce and our
1: patients. Good for you. <laughs> I need to follow in your footsteps there. Looking ahead five years and beyond, where do you see the most significant needs in the mental health space? Or to put it another way, what are your hopes for the future of mental health care? Yeah. It is my hope
0: that every school, every family, and our communities will normalize the conversation of mental health care and tending to the whole of people in a very comprehensive way. That starting early and modeling families, having our children know that um, what what is typical stressors that we need resiliency and the world around us has them and what is more than typical and what do you do when it's more than typical and I I think that has to start very early. I hope that my children, my grandchildren and future generations begin to see a, a world and environment where they know their own ability in these lower acuity mental health environments, and there are many patients that have very complex clinical diagnosis for mental health care. And it's my hope that those become more accessible as the lower acuity needs of our community are seen as a shared, that we have a shared solution and that we as society and community believe it is our shared solution. Uh, to bring forward these lower acuity program services and offerings and that uh, allows providers like Alina Health and my colleagues to focus on uh, the very clinical
1: uh, needs
0: that are more significant for sure.
1: You know, one thing I've watched evolve within this and it's been, if I were going to say, a good outcome of the pandemic has been recognition and acceptance of people talking about their mental health and not having it be a stigma. And as what I hear you describing is helping young people create tool sets, just like we do in other areas of their life, to not only be able to notice it, but then know how to be able to deal with it and talk about it. And I hope we can create community around that and the way that you're describing to support them so that for those who are reaching a stage based on what they continue to experience and aren't able to deal with that we're able to create an environment where maybe it's not reaching that high point because they've been dealing with it all along. And for those who are chronically impacted beyond their control of what's going on chemistry wise in their body, that you do have the ability to um, be freed up in terms of space and time and professionals to help them. Thank
0: you. I, I think that's really well said. And I, As the need in our community rises, a private, public, and philanthropy partnership for all of our communities will be important. No one of us can solve it by ourselves, but working with the Medical Alley, Line of Health, and other colleagues, including our state and federal
1: government, we need to get after this and do it together. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Well, Lisa, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and your insight and a special thanks for your leadership in this community. The organization of Alina is over a hundred years old and uh, and you're you're leading it with dignity and grace and a commitment to the patients that you serve in each and every day. and it's visible in how you lead. So thank you. Thank you on behalf of Medical Alley. Thank you on behalf of the state of Minnesota and the patients and families that your organization touches each and every day.
0: Thank you, Bobby. It's a tremendous gift and honor of a lifetime to be here.
1: And thank you to everyone for listening. This has been another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, head over to medicalalley.org or you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts.